Welcome back to World Changers. My name is Steven, and today we have a special guest, good friend, Taylor. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Taylor was a history major undergrad and currently a history teacher. And today we're going to be talking about probably one of the worst killers in the past you know, couple hundred years. For sure. That person is. Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just jump right in and do a quick summary of his life. Okay. Uh, so, Mao Zedong is known for being the founding father of the People's Republic of China. He actually didn't get the year that he was born. What year was he born? Uh, born 1893, December 26th, so right after Christmas. Oh, wow, day after Christmas. Yeah, 1893. And his father was... A former uh, peasant who had kind of risen and become a kind of prestigious, local prestigious farmer. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't poor um, in the sense uh, of the relative time. So Yeah, so Mao grew up pretty well off. Yeah. Um, Went to school, uh, pretty normal. Yeah, not much to know in his childhood. Yeah, well, when he was 13, uh, he was going to get an arranged marriage, and he was getting forced to stay at home to commit to being part of the family's farm. And he said no. He wanted to get an education. So he refused his arranged wife, and he refused to drop out of school, and his parents uh, finally reluctant, and uh, they sent him to a school. And he continued his education. So a pivotal moment in his life. Oh, interesting. I didn't even catch that. That's that's very interesting. Um, so as a young adult, he was a nationalist. Um, the nationalist movement was spreading across, across China. Basically, people were wanting to adopt democracy and get rid of um, the empires that had ruled for thousands of years in China. Um, but then he got a job working at a university. Mm-hmm. And that's when he kind of changed his political views and he adopted Marxism and started learning more about communism and all that sorts of stuff. Uh, fun fact, um, when he was just, I think he was 25 years old and he just graduated school, became a certified teacher, his mother died. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of adds to the long list of great men and women on this podcast who've had a parent die. So interesting. When they're young, yeah. Huh. So during this time, uh, China currently was under a dynasty uh-huh. for about 300 years. And the, that dynasty was, uh, um, how do you say it? Is it Jing? It's Q-I-N-G. The Qin dynasty? Qin dynasty. Uh-huh. So they've been around for about 300 years. Uh-huh. And before then, there had been thousands and thousands of years of dynasties. Yeah, just dynasty so. after dynasty. Mm-hmm. And we get into this part um, where he's graduating school and getting ready, and the dynasty falls. Mm-hmm. So the dynasty falls to the Nationalist Party, um, which was all these rebels who wanted to institute democracy, like I said. And so he was kind of part of this movement, and the movement eventually split in half, where half of the people wanted to continue democracy. Half the people started adopting Marxism and wanted to institute communism. And Mm -hmm. so then these two halves kind of started fighting each other. And that led to the Chinese Revolution. Yeah. They had a civil war. Uh And uh, there was the communists 
and what was the other party? The Co- Nationalists. The Nationalists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they went at it at each other, and the Nationalists were kind of winning for a while, right? They, they kind of kicked the communists out, and uh, Mao went on a... Uh-huh. The long walk, or what is it called? Yeah, the long march. Yeah, long so march. the nationalists they they gain power, they take over the dynasty. Then they have all this opposition from the communists. The leader of the nationalist party kind of freaks out. He's new in leadership, right? And he kind of does the most undemocratic thing. He he um, like declares that all communists need to be killed, and so the communists go on this like um, the nationalists. No, the communists, the nationalists um, t- say that all the communists have to yeah. be killed. So the, sorry, the communists start on this long march to get away, mm-hmm. to like flee for safety. And so they walk for many months in like um, crazy hardship, thousands and thousands of miles. Or how do you have how many miles they walked? It was like 4,000 to 6,000, something like that. I can't remember. A really long ways. Yeah. Until they finally met up with like a commune of communist people who they found safety in like northern China. Yeah. Which kept them safe from the nationalists. Eventually, all of the the Chinese kind of started siding with the communists because the nationalist government was had made all these promises when they got into power. And then the leader... Um, he was kind of putting all of his energy and money and time into fighting the communists, so he wasn't actually producing any of the results that he promised. So all these people were like, what the heck? This democracy thing sucks. Like, we're just going to go with the communists. And so there's crazy stories about, like, generals and soldiers just leaving the Nationalist Party and going to the other side and fighting for the communists. And so that was what led to the communists winning and pushing the nationalists out of out of China. The nationalists ended up fleeing to Taiwan. And well actually before that, that happened, there was also during the civil war in China, Japan attacked China. Mm-hmm. And it was this really unique thing where the leader of the Nationalist Party had to actually swallow his pride and ask for help because mm-hmm. China as a whole was going to be destroyed and taken over by Japan. So they kind of combined forces and resisted the Japanese. Mm-hmm. After that, they kind of broke off and continued as they were. And at this point, Mao had risen to the head of the Communist Party. So he's yeah. kind of in charge. And so he is seen as this glorious leader that first resisted them from the Japanese. And then, as you just mentioned, eventually has them win the Chinese Civil War. Mm-hmm. So they just love him. And so everyone is so excited for this amazing war hero and this general and this this great guy, and they're excited to see what changes are going to actually finally happen. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea mm-hmm. how bad it was going to be. They had no idea. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, so he gets in gets to power um, in 1949 is when he establishes the... People's Republic of China. So he's about 56 at this point. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's kind of ironic that he calls it the People's Republic of China because there was no part that was a republic. Interesting. But, but that's what he called it. Um, and so that's in 1949. In 1957, well, do you have anything in between there? Mm. Okay, so in 1957, he institutes a program called the Great Leap Forward. And this was a plan to industrialize China because China had kind of fallen behind all these other industrialized nations. 
all these Western nations, they were watching all of them mm-hmm. grow and produce, and China was still kind of behind the game. And that's part of re- why the, um, the how did you say that dynasty? The, the Qin. Qin dynasty, why they fell was because there were times when Britain would attack them and they just were not up to date mm-hmm. with military you know, weaponry mm-hmm. and so forth. And so they got kind of embarrassed. And so he's really inspired by Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. And that's who he's basing this whole government off. But it's actually so unique and different than the other communist nations like Russia to the point where it got his own name, which is Maoism. Right, so he just kind of inter- and he thought the way they had interpreted it was wrong, where they would seclude themselves, shut themselves off from the world, and control their own country. And he was still open to trade and wanted to industrialize, do all these great things, which some people think uh, played a part into why they are such a, a powerful economy today. But like you said, he started doubling down. One of them started building factories, and these are people who've been farmers their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So. It's a huge, terrible, hard jump for them to, you know, try to learn and create all these new products and services. And for a brief stint, it actually went okay. There was plenty of food. It looked like it was going to be great. Well, everyone, first thing he did was he said, no more private land. The land is owned by everybody. And everyone has to keep working on the land, but you don't get the food. Mm-hmm. And then the food that gets made needs to go to the most important citizens first, and then it will trickle down until everyone's fed, including the peasants. That was his plan. And it worked for a little bit, less than a year, and then there were some, uh, not tsunamis, typhoons, and bad winters, and they didn't have enough food, and millions of people. Yeah. Died. Well, on top of all of the like, natural disasters that happened... Um, they had these quotas that they were supposed to meet. So there was communes. Everybody was split into a commune. They were supposed to work on a commune. So there was like 26,000 communes throughout all of China. And these people were put onto a commune. They they lived a communal life. So there was no family life. The women lived in one quarters. Men lived in one. And the children were taken care of in another one. So it was just total communal living. And they had these quotas that they were supposed to meet because Mao wanted to produce so much more in agriculture as well as industrialized, you know, in other ways. But um, they had these quotas they were supposed to meet, and they would have government officials come and visit these communes and to see see if they were meeting their quotas. And all of these people were so uh, worried about disappointing Mao that they would take their crops and they would um, gather them all into one area. Then they would only let the government officials see that one area to make it look like they had produced so much more than what they had. And so they started um, reporting all these these numbers that were so much higher than the actual production that they what they were making, which then led the government to taking more because they thought they were, you know, they thought they had so much more on these communes. Interesting. And so this led to a shortage of food for all of the communes. They didn't have enough food because the government was taking more, but mostly because the officials they had, had reported more than they actually had grown. And so that is a big, another reason why they had this huge, huge famine where millions of people starved to death. The other fun little fact was at the time, all these people are starving and Mao had decided that he only wanted to uh, store wheat for the winter, which meant that people could only eat bread. And these tigers (laughs) and other animals were coming into the farms and killing people. 
Oh my gosh, I, I know. didn't know this. And so he, he ordered, I can't remember what it was, but some sort of pesticide, you know, like this killing of these animals. And they killed up to like 75% of all of them. Like a lot of these animals became endangered because they would kill them to eat them and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it just got desperate. People would eat their pets. People, some people became cannibals, you know, and everyone's just dying and millions and millions of people, like mm-hmm. literally millions of people are dying and it's just a disaster. Yeah, total disaster. It, it's estimated that 20 to 45 million people died between 1958 and 1962 in China, which is a lot of people. Yeah, that's a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of people. So just horrible. So this whole plan that Mao had to industrialize and to um, just revolutionize China kind of t- like just flopped yeah, and went the opposite bad. direction. It mm-hmm. like put them back even farther than they were before. So they got rid of that program and everyone kind of went back mm-hmm. to the way they were living. Um, and he kind of stepped down, kind of stepped to the side a little bit. Just wasn't as involved, I think, yeah. in everybody's uh-huh. life. I mean, it still was a communist government, so they still were heavily involved. But then um, 1964 is when he releases his Little Red Book. Um this he had a book of all his sayings and uh, just quotes by Mao by him and they were put together into a, in a into a book and everybody in the whole country was um, required to own this little red book and they carried it around and this is kind of the start of like what they called the cult of Mao where everybody just adored and worshipped and loved Mao and a lot of this is like symbolized in this little red book that everybody carried around. That's the thing is that people still loved him. It was weird. Oh, yeah. No one blamed, like, 40, around, like, 20 to 40 million people died, and no one blamed him. Everyone found other reasons for why this Great Leap Forward had been such a disaster because they just really loved him. He still was this war hero who had saved China. Mm -hmm. So then after Little Red Book, um, Mao decides he wants to institute another program, and this he calls the Cultural Revolution. And this started in 1966, and it basically was a program to remove counter-revolutionaries from Chinese society. Somehow he got in his head. I don't. I don't know if there was evidence of there being counter-revolutionaries, but he felt like there was. Like everybody needed to be needed to be more devoted to him and more devoted to the Communist Party. There was only one party. You know, you can only belong to one party, but he felt like people needed to be more devoted. And so he instituted this program called the Counter-Revolutionary, sorry, Counter-Cultural Revolution to get rid of counter-revolutionaries. And he called on the young people in China. Yeah, um, college kids. The college age kids. He knew that they were impressionable. Yeah. And he, he told them that they needed to rebel and they needed to get rid of everything that was old. So we had four olds. He called them, he says, we need to get rid of the four olds, which are old ideology, old thought, old habits, and old customs. And he said that it was these young people's job to, like, go through the country and rid it of all of these olds. Yeah, they were, the Red Guards were terrible. Horrible. Yeah, they had, um, like, what was it called? Like, flesh feasts? They would do this, they would do these terrible cannibalistic parties when they would attack people and eat their flesh like it was nuts and and mao was destroying thousands of years of chinese culture he took bricks from the great wall he told him destroy the great wall and take bricks and we're going to use it to make buildings or factories and stuff Mm -hmm. and he just wanted to get rid of it all Mm -hmm. 
yeah, like basically no one was safe. I mean, um, all people were being attacked by these red guards, especially, um, people in education and scholars. So tons of, um, like teachers and principals and professors were killed or put in jail or ran out of the country and all by these young people. They just rebelled and one day were in college and the next were listening to Mao and turning on their professors and making them do crazy things. I've read some horrible stories about what they make the the scholars do. Really? Yeah. Anyway, just awful. So many, many more people died in the Cultural Revolution. And eventually, um, Mao himself even thought it became too, um, like, too much, where he told the Red Guards to stop, and he ended up having to, like, force them to stop a little bit. I think he even had, he think he even killed some of them. Wow. Um, to kind of make it end, because he realized how out of hand it had gotten. Yeah, so then how does the how does it end? So it went for about 10 years, and so Mao was the one who, like, officially ended it. But a lot of awful repercussions because of that. I mean, a whole generation, like 10 years of young people, didn't even get an education because they were killing all of their teachers. So that's not great. It also destroyed the economy, destroyed a lot of things. So it was really awful for China, once again. Yeah, so he... Ends up dying. He was a pretty heavy smoker, and he he had some lung ailments and some heart ailments during his later years. And he, uh, yeah. So then his last known appearance was May twenty seventh, nineteen seventy six, and um, but then four days later he, uh, or sorry, four days later, oh, I gotta add that. Um, and September 9th, at the age of 82, he he dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and natural causes. They just put him into a like a like a glass or like a crystal uh, coffin where you can kind of see him. And everyone came and visited. Well, I think you can still visit him. Oh, I wow. think he, I am pretty sure. So I might need to check that, but I'm pretty sure his body is still on display. Wow. Which is gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but people. Lo- I mean, people were in love with him. You know, they were so in love with him. Like people, they thought of him as an actual god. They mm-hmm. prayed to him. They would sing songs to him. They would speak to him. They would tell him their ideas as if he was like listening to them. Like they thought he was a god. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, our next section and just go over some fun quotes. A revolution is not a dinner party or painting a picture. It cannot be leisurely, gentle, kind, courteous, and restrained. A revolution is an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. Wow. Political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. So, violent. Yeah. <laughs> um, this one I thought was interesting. He said, women hold up half the sky. And that was actually a good thing that that he did is he gave women a lot of rights they didn't have in the dynasty period. In China, they had they were oppressed in a lot of ways, and he kind of gave them a lot of rights, which is a good thing. Hmm. Politics is war without bloodshed, while war is politics with bloodshed. Hmm. Difference between politics and war. Interesting. Killing people. <laughs> um, 
The great man Genghis Khan only knew how to shoot eagles with an arrow. The past is past. To see real heroes look around you. It's pretty good. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of the ones that I got were from his little red book. Cool. Yeah. This is a funny one. To read too many books is harmful. Uh-huh, interesting. <laughs> What's funny is, I'm in our, when we get to our other section, I read that he had special beds made for him, so he had extra space in his bed to stack all of his books. So he didn't let anybody else read, but he was like a really avid reader. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, this is one that actually wasn't written by him, but written by his doctor about him. He said, the doctor says, so far as I could tell, Mao was devoid of human feeling, incapable of love and friendship or warmth. Once in Shanghai, I was sitting next to the chairman during a performance when a child acrobat was seriously injured. The crowd was transfixed and the child's mother was inconsolable. But Mao continued talking and laughing as if nothing had happened. Creepy. Yeah, kind of creepy. All right, my last one. Despise the enemy strategically, but take him seriously tactically. Interesting. What do you got? One more? Um, that's all I got. Okay. Let's head on to our next section and talk about some fun, interesting facts about them. Okay. So he was like really into food, apparently. And even though many of his people were starving during his, his time in leadership, he would go through great lengths to get food. So... Um, he apparently had a special kind of fish flown in um, from over 600 miles away. And they would fly it into Beijing. They would keep it alive because they wanted it to be fresh for him. So they'd keep it alive in a plastic bag with water and accompanied by a servant who was responsible for, like, administering oxygen into the plastic bag. To, like, I don't know. Kind of crazy. So big foodie, apparently. Um, so he, in 1962, when he was pretty old, he got a into a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old girl that lasted five years. She was, like, her, his personal secretary. And it was kind of crazy. The The father of the girl complained, and he almost got put to death. But, like, his own wife had to go through his this secretary to even talk to Mal, to oh set up a gosh. time to meet with him. Yeah. So wow. he was pretty weird. He actually had sex a lot and um, got some diseases and passed those diseases on to women. And then those women would brag about those diseases as a trophy that they had that got this disease from Mao. Oh, wow. That's so gross. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, he would sometimes stay awake for like up to 48 hours working, and then he would sleep for like hours on end and no one could wake him <laughs> to like make up for his lack of sleep. But apparently he worked through the night like really often. Weird. And maybe not just worked through the night. Nice, yeah. <laughs> in 1958, a uh, representative from Soviet Union came and visited him, and he held, held the meeting inside of a pool because he knew this guy, Khrushchev, couldn't swim. And oh he gosh. did it because he felt the Soviets disrespected him when he visited Moscow. So he had a meeting in a pool because the guy couldn't swim. Yeah, just to <laughs> get back at him. Wow. Um so there was accounts, apparently, of him having terrible teeth. He, like, refused to bathe and brush his teeth, which is so gross. Pretty gross. And uh, apparently one aide wrote about him that the chairman's teeth looked as if they were painted with green paint. Super gross. And then his doctor talked about how he would, like, 
touch his gums and like pus would ooze out because they were so... Oh my gosh, that's gross. Yeah, disease. Um, In 1956, he launched this campaign, the 100 Flowers campaign, and he said, everybody... I want to encourage all the citizens to, like, talk, express criticisms of, the, of national policy. We can, like, try to, you know, we want to hear what we're doing wrong so we can correct it. And then he used the opportunity to target all the critics and sent them to prison camps. Oh, my gosh. That's so mean. Crazy. <laughs> That's pretty mean. Um, he apparently, like, he lived in total comfort, even though all of his people did not. And... He hated new shoes because they're painful, so he made his bodyguards wear all of his shoes in before he would wear them. Weird. Yeah, pretty weird. Um, so this is that one. This is pretty funny. In 1968, a Pakistani foreign minister presented Mao with some mangoes. At the time, no one, very few people in China had ever even seen a mango, and then when they tasted it, they were blown away by how good it, it tasted. And it just started spreading around. People were just amazed by this, and they put it in little glass jars. When it went bad, they started making replicas of them, and they almost, like, worshipped it. It became, like, a symbol of mouse support for workers. And if anyone, if you if you challenged or, or questioned why we were worshipping this yellow ball, you could get put to death. It just like this crazy atmosphere. With a mango in a glass case that's fake, everyone just went crazy with it, but... Bizarre, so weird. He is a really interesting man. Yeah. (laughs) That's all the stories I got about him. The last one I got was in uh, 1973, he was meeting with the United States and proposed exporting up to 10 million Chinese women. He believed that it would uh, start, like, good trade negotiations between the two, and uh, it would help with their overpopulation problems. He said China was, quote, a very poor country, and what we have in excess is women. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe he wasn't so nice to him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting mixed mixed signals here. But let's head into our last section and just kind of do a one-minute spiel each about why we think he's on this list. So I think he was great just because of his massive influence. I mean, obviously, China is one of the biggest countries in the world, and um, he was the leader of it and made it a big part of why it is how it is today is because of him. I mean, without Mao, I don't know if communism would be there or not. So I think that's that's huge. Not to mention how many people died under his rule. Total, it's estimated that like 30 to 70 million people died while he was in power. So that's, that's a significant amount of people. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I just think his influence was was really big and we're still we're still dealing with it today yeah i mean i think he's uh closer to the 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 spectrum of hitler than a lot of the other guys we've done on the list where definitely he's great in the sense that he's made enormous changes in the world with you know one of the biggest countries in the world and the effect that he's had on the people i mean there's a whole political theory um after him maoism you know and he's still revered today, but his legacy, good and bad, has, you know, perpetuated still. I mean, it's only been 30 years or 40 years or something, so it hasn't been too long. He's probably the yeah. most recent person we've actually done. Yeah. But, yeah, if, if, if you had an influence over 30 million people or more, that's something that's great. If you killed them, that's terrible. But it's still great. It's, it's a great act that you've done, you know? And yeah. so I think that's why he's on this list. But honestly, he's really intriguing because I'm getting, like, mixed signals, you know, that he's 
maybe some of the, the reasons why some of the negative th- negative things he did were I don't know negligence or ignorance or unluck. Yeah, it's like he kind of wanted to help. Yeah, I just but can't did it tell. In a horrible, horrible way. Yeah, I don't know. Some, maybe some it of would, his programs were that way. It would, I would love to hear someone who's like a fan of his, you know, like talking to a local Chinese person and just yeah. hearing their perspective about it because it's definitely two sides of this coin and it's hard to really narrow down his character. I mean, sleeping with a lot of women is one thing, you know, that's not a great thing, but uh, I don't know. It's a tough one, but. He's on the list regardless, so yeah. that's Mao. Yeah. Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong. Well, that's all we got for today. Thanks so much for being a guest appearance, Taylor. No problem. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on here more. <laughs> I'd love to be here more. Okay, guys. Thanks so much. See ya.